0: Chapter Fifteen: A Fuel of Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fuel of Fire by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter Fifteen: In the Lanes. I could not love thee, dear, so very much. Loved I not honor more? an admirable percept this but such make hearts of women sore even as lady alicia and miss burton had foretold so it turned out their worst fears were realised baxendale took no steps whatever to obtain the insurance money to which he was legally entitled it was no hasty decision on his part he had many a mental struggle before he came to the conclusion that he could not take the money the temptation was indeed great could he only overcome his scruples his absurd scruples as the world would call them how easy would life be for him he would be enabled to place his mother in a position suited to her birth and thus free himself from the constant irritation of her complaints against men in general and her late husband and her living son in particular he would be able to repair the damage wrought by the fire to the hall and to live once again in his ancestral home best of all he would have a sufficient if a moderate income and could offer a home to the woman he loved ah how he loved her he never knew how much until he had convinced himself that honour him give her up yet for all this he felt that he could not take the money he was a man who might possibly in a fit of impulse commit a great crime but who would shrink from availing himself of any advantage pecuniary or otherwise which might result to himself and that he had committed a great crime the world in which he dwelt as expressed by the majority of its voices had no manner of doubt with the verdict of society lawrence was fully acquainted naturally no one directly made such an accusation in his presence the law of libel is specially constructed to meet such cases few men care to face an action for defamation of character even if the unfortunate defendant wins his case which is a rare occurrence he is saddled with a lawyer's bill which no so-called costs even if wrung from the unsuccessful plaintiff will satisfy wherefore mr baxendale had no direct accusation to face but he knew well enough the meaning of the shaking of heads the suggestive glances the innuendoes the we could and if we would which prevailed wherever men and women congregated he had often professed the profoundest contempt for public opinion he had looked down with scornful eyes on those men and women who play pitch-and-toss with the ninth commandment yet now the iron entered into his soul and all his philosophy was insufficient to enable him to be careless of public opinion it was sufficient indeed for outward show he held up his head bravely enough and even careful observers were unable to discover the pain he was too proud not to conceal he knew in his heart of hearts that his best friends were right when they counselled him that the surest way of crushing malicious gossip was to take the money and face the world with an unruffled brow this indeed he would have done but for a terrible doubt which he could not stifle it must not be supposed that lady alicia permitted her son to have his way in this matter without a struggle many a time and oft she combated his pride and strove manfully to overcome his scruples it was all in vain lawrence listened with exemplary patience to the maternal homilies yet steadfastly declined to discuss the matter with her he was very sorry he would willingly do anything he could to give her the luxuries for which she pined but duty was duty and he could not oblige her in this matter but lady alicia's persistence was an additional trouble to baxendale her arguments that it was foretold that the hall should a third time be destroyed and that the person who set fire to it was one deserving of all credit as the instrument of an overruling providence hurt him more than he would admit as far as the world was concerned he might just as well have taken the money those who had overtly or covertly insinuated that he had set fire to the library for the sake of the insurance money now said that the insurance office declined to pay the money in so suspicious a case and that baxendale dared not prosecute his claim by legal proceedings for fear of having to submit to cross-examination in the witness-box as a matter of fact the insurance companies as was only natural had sent down one of their officials to inquire into the particulars of the fire and had privately informed baxendale that strange and mysterious as were the circumstances nothing had been discovered which would justify them in refusing to pay the money this fact was pretty well known among his friends but the pride which prevented him from claiming the money likewise forbade his publishing this intimation upon the housetops if he had done so it would hardly have made a difference there are some people so constituted that when engaged in the fascinating occupation of gossiping away another's character they are not so much unwilling as unable to pay heed to the clearest evidence those who acquitted baxendale were much exercised as to how the fire arose as there is no smoke without fire so it is unusual for there to be fire without hands to kindle the flame whose were the hands to this very natural question there seemed to be no reasonable answer and if baxendale waited until a reasonable answer was forthcoming before claiming the money it seemed as if a considerable interval of patience was before him this idea seemed to strike the unfortunate man himself and after much self-communing he decided that it was only fair to let nancy know the state of affairs he could not marry her so long as there was a cloud of suspicion hanging over him even if she were willing to share his modest income with a mother-in-law thrown in and as a dispersal of the said clouds was exceedingly problematical there seemed no course but a termination of their hopes having come to the conclusion it only remained to carry it into effect this was a hard task far harder than the resigning of a handsome fortune he was no coxcomb but he was well aware that he had won nancy's love that her heart was completely his how could he deliberately wound that dear heart how could he steel himself to deal that fatal blow when all the time his own heart was overflowing with love and tenderness he thought he had sufficient stoicism to bear any pain himself but it was another thing to inflict with his own hand misery and suffering upon the woman whom despite that torturing doubt which he could not stifle he still loved so dearly still horrible as was the situation it had to be faced cruel as was the deed it had to be done postponement he felt would make the task no lighter so he set out to call at wayside and bring matters to a climax as he walked along the lanes those lanes filled with memories once so dear but now so bitter he tried to find comfort in the thought that nancy might possibly have fallen in with the current belief and might regard him as guilty that would make things easier for she would be ready nay anxious for an end to be put to their relation he told himself that nancy was always ready to fall in with the latest opinion yet all the time he knew that he was doing her an injustice and that no amount of gossip would ever shake her belief in him again the hideous doubt arose in his own mind if that is so he muttered to himself she will know the truth about me and then he bitterly rebuked himself as unworthy for admitting a doubt which he knew nancy was incapable of entertaining in his case then he wondered whether she would be at home whether he would find her alone he half hoped that he should discover the whole family assembled in order to have a reasonable excuse for a postponement do not we all know what a relief it is when circumstances render impossible the thing which we would not and yet know we ought to do yet he had a feverish desire to get this thing done at any cost as soon as possible this doubt was set at rest by his meeting nancy herself a short distance from the gate leading into the fields at the back of wayside nancy's heart began to beat loudly when she saw her lover coming toward her but she managed to assume a fine affectation of indifference is that really mr baxendale she asked with apparent surprise what can you be doing walking in the lanes on an afternoon are you sure that you are not a wraith like jamie in old robin grey and that i oughtn't to be dreadfully frightened of you and wear my hair a la the bristling porcupine in consequence every one says you have determined to become a saintly hermit on account of your lordly disdain for the unworthy persons who inhabit these regions i must say there seems some foundation for these rumours for we haven't seen you at wayside for a month of sundays nancy rattled on in this fashion in order to conceal her own agitation at the sight of Baxendale, she had jumped to the conclusion that her belief in her power over him was now about to be justified he had tried to keep away from her and failed now he was coming to tell her so and to make it up wherefore it became absolutely necessary to postpone the making up as long as possible and nothing was more calculated to effect this desirable result than an affectation of flippancy but laurence though as a rule he had not shown himself backward in playing the game on this occasion proved to be unaccountably remiss the old laurence with his stiffness and shyness seemed as by magic restored i am afraid you are right he said i must have seemed sadly negligent of social duties don't be silly laurence cried nancy fancy talking of social duties what i want to know is why haven't you been to see me do you call me a social duty i haven't been to see you because it would have been painful to us both said baxendale thinking that he had never seen nancy look so pretty as she did now however i was intending to call this afternoon indeed i am now on my way mother will be very pleased to see you replied nancy thinking that laurence had never looked so stiff and unapproachable we had better go in at once you will have some difficulty in making your peace i can tell you no don't let us go in i will call on mrs burton another day it is you i want to see thank you for the compliment said nancy with a little curtsey after your behaviour lately you don't deserve it still i don't mind going for a walk with you if you like in what direction will you turn gentle hermit of the dale let us go to baxendale i wish to speak to you about the fire nancy assented silently and they set off in the direction of the hall for some minutes neither of them spoke baxendale was too full of what he had to say moreover he dreaded beginning nancy for her part was not particularly pleased with laurence for his silence and his stiffness he did not seem she thought in a particular hurry to begin the process of making it up however it was not her nature to keep silence for long wherefore she soon began to speak so people are right when they say you propose becoming a hermit are they she asked i am sorry because i don't like hermits they are generally so dirty and disagreeable lawrence answered her question with another do you believe everything that people say of me nancy it is only right for a properly brought-up young woman to believe what people say isn't it she asked with a swift glance from her blue eyes she was rather frightened at the sight of baxendale's face i am not jesting said baxendale you must have heard the common talk that i set fire to my own house in order to secure the insurance money yes of course i've heard all that remarked nancy cheerfully laurence's heart sank at the tone of her voice he thought that she believed him guilty and that she was glad so to think he had only been hoping that she would think him guilty but it was to be accompanied with a proper repulsion from one who could commit such a crime yet she seemed rather to be rejoicing at iniquity so you believe this report he said at last with a touch of resentment in his voice believe it you silly boy you don't suppose that i could ever think that you would do such a thing do you you are far too proper a person to do anything so sensible you would have scruples and conscientious objections and searchings of heart at the bare idea oh no mr baxendale i know you far too well for that and nancy shook her head with the most profound conviction then you don't think i did it persisted baxendale with an eagerness he could not conceal i know you did not do it replied nancy emphatically you know i did not do it nancy nodded with renewed emphasis but how can you be so certain unless indeed You know the real culprit but that is impossible baxendale could not help the last sentence becoming a question instead of a statement if you are so silly as not to be able to guess how i know i am not going to tell you replied nancy for the second time that afternoon lawrence's heart sank it was true then his horrible suspicion no he would not go so far as that yet it looked as if it might be true it does not matter a straw to me went on nancy what stupid people say but isn't it lovely that the old curse is fulfilled at last now you will have a good income and all your money troubles will be over and miss burton stopped as it seemed to her only reasonable that her lover should finish the sentence but this expectation like many other reasonable expectations was not fulfilled that is just what i want to speak to you about began laurence and then he paused nancy looked at him but made no effort to help him on to tell the truth she was by no means satisfied but what she saw in his face love there was and passion too but the passion was kept in restraint nor was the love of the kind which casteth out fear something of this she saw but she did not know what it cost him to refrain from clasping her in his arms and defying the world yet he did it more than that he spoke calmly almost coldly you know that i love you don't you nancy i thought so once replied the girl piqued by his tone but you are behaving so queerly that i shall soon begin to have my doubts what do you mean it is very evident what i mean a month ago you not only professed to love me but you seemed eager to see me as often as you possibly could and appeared glad when you did see me ever since the fire you have avoided me as if i instead of the hall had had a scarlet fever and now we have met you behave as if i were a mad dog or a poor relation so persistently do you keep me at a distance a month ago you told me that in all your joys and in all your troubles you would come to me for sympathy since the fire every joy and every trouble has driven you at least five miles in an opposite direction nancy was fast coming to the conclusion that her original idea as to baxendale's intention was erroneous as a natural consequence her temper was sorely tried why don't you answer she cried with a stamp of her foot have you lost your tongue as they say to children i hesitate to speak said lawrence gently because i know that what i have to say will pain me and i fear it will also pain you in that case the sooner you speak the better when one visits the dentist's one doesn't care for much time to be spent in the dreary waiting-room furnished with passe magazines nancy i hate to say it yet i must no other course is possible i love you my darling i love you and yet we must never see each other again never see each other again how can you be so ridiculous laurence this is really absurd you say you love me and i have told you that i love you what is to prevent our seeing each other and being happy ever afterward as they are in fairy tales they were now in baxendale park slowly walking toward the ruins laurence pointed to the hall as he said the reason is there the old curse has come true and the blow falls upon me i cannot in honour marry you it seems to me that it is quite the other way you have won my love and i should say you were bound in honour to marry me as for the curse it is really a blessing you might have had scruples about marrying me before but the fire has provided you with an adequate income no it has not muttered laurence gloomily you seem to have exalted ideas as to adequacy anyway the interest on a hundred thousand pounds is good enough for me so don't be silly there's a dear and compel me to say that the fire at baxendale has cooked my goose for me you are a goose you know and mine but i'll take you uncooked if you don't mind nancy cannot you understand that i am unable to claim the insurance money most certainly i cannot i never heard anything more ridiculous what are insurance companies for except to make it worth people's while to die or marry or be burned to death they made no difficulty about taking your money as long as there was no fire and now that there has been a fire it is your turn to take their money i don't see why as the irishman said the reciprocity should be all on one side but people say it was no accident what does it matter what people say as long as they don't speak the truth and that they hardly ever do if they are women which the majority of people are in england according to the last census worse luck but how can i take this money when it is said that i set my own house on fire in order to get it but you didn't replied nancy and as a matter of fact your declining to take the money will be regarded as a proof that you did just as conscientious scruples against supporting any non-conforming charity proves that people were brought up as thorough-paced dissenters and asking innocent questions about the habits of the middle class proves that the anxious inquirers were born and bred in tottenham court road nobody apparently knows so little about a thing as those who really know too much i can't do it nancy i can't do it cried laurence don't ask me to do it it's hard enough as it is to do what i know to be right i suppose you think it very fine to sacrifice your own interests for the good of the company that is all very well but you have no right to sacrifice me on the altar of your absurd scruples i never set myself up at being an iphigenia or a Japhtha's daughter up to date baxendale made no reply they were now standing close by the hall looking at the ravages made by the fire for a few minutes neither of them spoke then baxendale felt the soft hand steal gently into his own lawrence darling whispered nancy you don't mean what you say tell me it is all a mistake just think of what it means to me oh my love why can't we be happy together now that the obstacle to your poverty has been removed not that it was ever an obstacle to me poverty always seems to me a nice cheerful picnicky sort of thing with a man one really likes but you made a silly fuss about it while it was here and you seem to make a still sillier fuss about it now that it has disappeared don't tempt me sweetheart don't tempt me surely you were in earnest when you told me you loved me better than anything on earth you know i meant it nancy oh my darling don't make it harder for me than it is i love you better than life itself but it is a question of honour i cannot let you marry me so long as suspicion rests upon me nor can i take the money nancy turned to her lover with a look he had never before seen in her blue eyes love and pride offended dignity and spurned affection mingled there with a misery that cut him like a knife then you prefer your scruples to me having won my heart you weigh it in the balance with your conscience and find that the latter is by far the heavier and more valuable commodity of the two then you scribble meenie teekul all over my heart and pitch it out of the window as being lightweight but you hug your own conscience in an ecstasy of appreciation murmuring to yourself what a good boy am i as for what becomes of my rejected heart whether some other man picks it up or whether it is trampled to death in the dust is a matter of no more moment to you than it is to the man in the moon you have your own dear large honourable superfine extra weight conscience in its place and that is enough for you laurence could only say you do not understand me now some day you will then all is over between us lawrence literally could not speak he could only bow in silent misery nancy drew herself up and with a scornful good-bye mr baxendale turned away baxendale for a few seconds stood rooted to the spot then all his love rushed over him with overwhelming force and he felt he could not let her go nancy he cried as he started to follow her but she shook her head and walked proudly on chapter fifteen